You're listening to the Lucas Italy podcast with food, culture and history from the land of gondolas and gorgonzola. I'm Luca Marchiori and today I'll be talking about how an ancient flatbread became Italy's national dish. When you start talking about pizza with Italians, there's a burning question that they want answered. And that is, do you prefer pizza alta or pizza bassa? The first refers to Neapolitan-style pizza with a very thick crust all the way round, which forms like a frame for the toppings. The second refers to Roman-style pizza, which is a little bit thicker in the middle, but is the same thickness all the way through, and the toppings tend to go right to the edge. As we know from the episode on Pizza Margherita, pizza for many people is associated with the city of Naples, but Rome is another city with a very long, perhaps even longer history of pizza. And it was the Roman-style pizza which, until relatively recently, conquered the rest of Italy and the world, and it's also something which, as we shall see, keeps on evolving. Now, the first mention of anything like pizza comes from an epic poem written by the Roman poet Virgil in about 19 BC. And the poem, which is called the Aeneid, tells the story of how the Greek hero Aeneas, along with his son Ascanius, fled the burning city of Troy and arrived in Italy, where they founded eventually a city called Alba Longa, which was to be the precursor of the city of Rome. And there's an episode in the poem when the Trojan heroes are wandering through the Italian countryside and they decide to cook a meal. And because they haven't got any plates or anything to eat the food off, they make some flatbreads and put the food on the bread like a plate. And they're so hungry that they end up eating the bread as well. And here's a translation of that part of the Aeneid by the poet John Dryden. Beneath a shady tree, the hero spread his table on the turf with cakes of bread, and with his chiefs on forest fruits he fed. They sate, and, not without the gods' command, their homely fare dispatched the hungry band, invade their trenches next, and soon devour, to mend the scanty meal, their cakes of flour. Ascanius this observed, and smiling said, See, we devoured the plates on which we fed. And Aeneas, realising this, is very happy because he remembers there was an old prophecy which said that he would have many problems and he'd have to wander for many years before being able to found his city. But the prophecy said, When on a foreign shore, instead of meat by famine forced, your trenchers you shall eat, then ease your weary Trojans will attend, and the long labours of your voyage end. So basically, the prophecy seemed to be saying that Aeneas and the other Trojans wouldn't find rest and they would have to wander for many years until they came to the land where they ate pizza. Seriously, though, I think that for Virgil to have included this episode in the story shows that his audience, number one, would have been very familiar with eating flatbread with toppings on them, but that also it would have been something that they associated with their own culture and with Italy. So in some ways, they would have recognised themselves as being from the country that ate pizza. If we look at the derivation or the etymology of the word, this seems to back up this ancient origin. There are, in fact, two rival etymologies for the word pizza. Um, The first one is from the old German word bissen, and this is supposed to have come into Italian through the Lombard invasions during the medieval period. But the second, and to my mind more likely etymology, 
has the word deriving from the ancient Greek word pektos, which means baked. And this is the word from which Peter, as in pita bread, derives. And this word pektos turned into the Latin word pincere, the, the word meaning to flatten or to squash. And the past participle of this verb is pinsa. So pinsa means flattened or squashed in Latin. And to my mind, this one is also backed up by the fact that the word pita, meaning bread, is very common all over the Mediterranean. But also that flatbread in Tuscany is called schiacciata, and schiacciata means squashed or flattened, just in the same way that pinsa does. Now, you also find flatbread all over the Italian peninsula with a variety of different names, and all of these probably derive from the flatbreads that the Romans were eating, which may or may not have been referred to as pinsa by them. So in the north of Italy, you find the word focaccia. In Emilia-Romagna, you find the word piadina. We've already seen that schiacciata is the word from Tuscany. In Umbria, they call it torta al testo. Um, in the south of Italy, it's called pita. And then pizza is the central southern Italian word, which takes in both the Italian cities of Rome and Naples. Now, in Roman times, the flour which they used was different from the flour which we use today. And in fact, they used spelt flour, which in Latin was called farius, and in modern Italian is referred to as farro. And the modern Italian word for flour, farina, derives from this word. Now, farro bread played a very important part in ancient Roman history and even gave its name to the form of marriage which was used by the Roman nobility. This kind of marriage was called confariatio, which literally means eating farro bread together. And the sharing of a piece of farro bread seems to have been part of the ritual used in the wedding. This in turn is based on a very ancient custom of families or enemies or friends coming together and breaking bread together, which is a phrase that we still use in English. And also this has an effect on the rituals of the early Christian religion in which bread plays a very important part. Just as a little aside, um, after they ate the farrow bread, the woman's hand would be passed directly to that of her husband by her father. And personally, I think that this is the derivation of the word confer, which is very similar to confariatio, in the meaning of giving something or bestowing something. The other meaning of confer, meaning to talk, comes from uh, a different Latin word. And I'm sure people are going to write in now and say that actually the derivation of both is the same. But for me, I think that it makes more sense that confer, give, comes from confariatio. So I think that basically the tradition of ancient Roman flatbread continued right down until the current day. And the word pinsa, which later became the word pizza, was the word used to refer to it. Certainly by the 16th century in central southern Italy, including the city of Rome, the word pizza was used to refer to a variety of different things which all shared the characteristics of being flat. And some of these survive today. Most importantly, in Rome, there's a thing called the pizza ebraica, which means the Jewish pizza. And this is actually a sweet cake made with almonds and candied peel and nuts and all sorts of other things. But it has the characteristic of being flat. So over the years, the recipe and the concept of flatbreads um, changed in Rome until we arrive at the version of pizza that we have today. 
The city of Rome is one of the oldest continuously inhabited places in Europe, with the earliest known traces going back to about 800 years BC. And in fact, the archaeology is rather close to the traditional ancient Roman date of 753 BC, which is when the ancient Romans thought the city had been founded. And I think if you take into account the difficulties they had in calculating years and also the changes in calendars that have taken place um, since then, I think actually to come up with a date which is relatively close within 100 years or so of the archaeology is pretty good going. Now, as history went on and the city of Rome developed, basically the new parts of the city kept getting built on top of the old parts. And so today, the city of Rome is like an archaeological layer cake. But also in other parts of the city, you see buildings which have been in constant use next to buildings from different eras. So for example, if you go to the Piazza della Rotonda in central Rome, you find the Pantheon, an ancient Roman building built in about 125 AD, right next to the church of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, which is a medieval church. Although, as the name suggests, Sopra means on top of, Minerva is the name of an ancient Roman goddess. So it seems that the church was built on top of the ancient Roman temple to this goddess. And then in the middle of the square, in front of the Pantheon, you've got the fountain, which was started in the Renaissance in the 1500s. And then around the square, you've got buildings also from the 18th and 19th century. So basically, this square, you've got bits of Rome, you've got buildings which come from all the periods of Rome, still there, coexisting together. And Roman pizza is pretty much the same, because all the different developments of pizza in Rome are, are all still existing. And in fact, you can find them all side by side together. And so today, it's possible to eat yourself through a culinary history of Roman pizza. Now, for your first step on this journey through culinary history, you need to go to a forno or a traditional Roman bakery. Forno literally means oven. And in the forno, you'll find a wide variety of bread, as well as cakes and biscuits and other things. But you'll also find pizza bianca, which literally means white pizza. And this is a kind of flatbread, a bit like focaccia, but it tends to be crispier on the outside, an effect which is gained through using olive oil, and quite soft on the inside. And I'd say it's probably about two centimetres thick. Sometimes you find it with a few green olives stuck in the top. And people either eat this on its own, plain, um, because it's got salt on the top as well, so it's actually quite tasty, or they have it cut through the middle and then put meat or cheese in the middle and make a kind of sandwich out of it. And this is probably quite similar to the kind of flatbread that was being eaten in ancient times and continued through medieval renaissance up to the current day. The main difference really would be the flour, because today um, they use common wheat instead of the farro flour, which would have been used in ancient times. But apart from that, it's pretty much the same thing. Now, the other thing you find in the forno is pizza rossa or red pizza. And this is pizza with tomato on the top. And this developed in the late 18th, early 19th century, pretty much at the same time that they started putting tomato on pizza in Naples. Now, these pizzas are round, but they're about half the size of a modern pizza. And there are also smaller versions called pizzette, which are sometimes made with the same dough and sometimes are made with puff pastry. 
Now, they look rather uninspiring, just like a piece of dough with tomato sauce on top. But I can tell you they are the most delicious thing in the world, with the tomato being cooked just to the right point to have this amazing umami flavour. And um, in fact, it's really hard to eat just one. And in some ways, it's easy to see why when in the 19th century, some people from Naples came to Rome to try and open a Neapolitan pizzeria, it didn't take off because the Romans already had these amazingly tasty things which they could buy everywhere in the Forno and which were part of their tradition. So for the next step on our journey, I need to take you out of the Forno and into a pizza al taglio shop, a pizza slice shop. Now these developed in the period immediately after the Second World War and are still going very strong in the city. And these shops have big long glass cases full of large oblong pans full of large oblong pizzas. And the first thing that you notice is the variety of toppings that these pans have. There's tomato and mozzarella, but also other cheeses like gorgonzola, provolone, there are anchovies, there are zucchini flowers, there's prosciutto, there are mushrooms, there's um, eggplants, potatoes, the, the list can go on. In fact, there's one very popular shop which has developed into a chain, and they have about 25 different flavours of pizza al taglio available at any one time. Now, this developed as street food, but the beauty of it is that when you buy pizza al taglio, it's not already cut. And in fact, they cut it for you. And you can basically stipulate the size of the slice that you want. So you can either have a big slice of one flavor, or you can have two or three smaller slices of different flavors. Now, today you find pizza al taglio all over Italy. It's very popular, for example, with tourists in Venice. But its spread to the rest of Italy is a relatively recent thing from the 1980s. And from after the Second World War until then, it was a thing firmly associated with the city of Rome. So for the next development, we need to leave the Pizza Al Taglio street food shop and go to one of the sit-down pizzerias which developed in Rome in the 1950s. And here you'll find the pizza romana that we know today the round, flat, thin and crispy one with no crust. And there are many historic pizzerias in Rome which date from this period in the 1950s. One of the most famous is the Pizzeria da Remo, which you find in the Testaccio district. Now, the menus in these pizzeria normally are divided into pizza bianca or pizza rossa, so pizza with tomatoes or pizza without tomatoes, and you find many different types of pizza, unlike in Naples, where in the traditional pizzeria you only have margarita and marinara. In Rome, you have margarita, marinara, but you also have things like the capricciosa, quattro stagioni, quattro formaggi, which are famous in the, throughout the world today. Now, in the 1950s and 60s, you couldn't find anything that resembled pizza much north of Rome. But in the 70s and 80s, it spread pretty much to the rest of Italy and has become pretty much Italy's national dish. But it's interesting to note that if you go into a pizzeria in much of the rest of Italy, particularly in the north of Italy, until very, very recently, the style of pizza you found overwhelmingly was the Roman-style pizza and not the Neapolitan-style pizza. And in fact, I'd never had a Neapolitan-style pizza until I went to Naples for the first time, but I'd eaten many, many, many pizzas in my life all of which were Roman style. Now, in the late 90s, early 2000s, the pizza napolitana struck back and it finally left the city of Naples to be found all over Italy and became associated with high quality artisanal pizzas. 
But the Romans weren't having any of this, and so pretty much at the same time, struck back with their own version of an artisanal pizza. And in fact, in 2001, the Roman pizzaiolo Corrado di Marco invented something which he called the pinza, which, as we saw, was the Latin word that pizza is supposed to have derived from. And apparently he did a lot of research into ancient bread-making techniques and came up with a recipe which, although it doesn't use farro, uses a mix of wheat, rice, and soya flours. And unlike the normal pizza romana, which uses fresh yeast, this uses sourdough yeast. And the other thing which has changed is the shape. Um, the pinza is more oblong-shaped than round. And I think this is supposed to be a reference to the fact that in Virgil, he describes the shape of the pizzas eaten by Aeneas and Ascanius using the word mensa, which is the Latin for table. So if you visit Rome today, as well as the Forno selling pizza bianca, pizza rossa, the pizza al taglio shops, the pizzerie serving pizza romana, you also find a large number of pinzerie which serve this new pinza. And it's become a real fashion in the city. So when the global pandemic is finally over and you can return to Rome, you can spend a week going around eating just pizza um, in all its historical variations. And who knows, by then, maybe the next big thing will have been invented. So once again, thank you very much for listening. And thank you also for all the likes, reviews and comments that you've been writing. This week's comment comes from Guaylo Ang Mo, and it says, I remember when spaghetti was about the only pasta with macaroni known to British supermarkets, roughly 1976 to 1977. Back then, the spaghetti was long, about half a metre perhaps, wrapped in blue paper, and on the wrappers was a recipe. We made carbonara following that, and as I remember, it was bacon, cut up small and gently fried. That and beaten egg and pepper were added to the cooked spaghetti. I can still recall our pleasure eating it. Simple pasta dishes have an appeal all of their own. Well, thank you very much for this trip down memory lane, because I too remember that in the 1970s, spaghetti was about the only pasta you could buy in Britain, and that it was long and wrapped in blue paper. And in fact, I'm going to mention this in an upcoming episode about another famous Italian dish. All that remains then is for me to say thank you. I'll be back next week with another slice of Italian food, culture and history. So have a great week. Ciao.